a sports media perspective, we were laser focused on what is the right experience to give a user on a mobile phone. Hey everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where my partner, Joe Favorito and I talk about the business of sports. And Joe, this was a big week of talking about the business of sports, thanks to the guys at Hashtag. Holy crap, between that and the Michigan Sports Business Society, there was another sports pro. And it's funny, uh, we are doing this on Zoom, but we only use the audio, obviously. But um, there have been Wednesdays, Tom, and I, I've mentioned this on Twitter a couple of times. We're literally uh, Wednesday at 12 o'clock. There were eight different sports business events that you could Zoom into. So no one's coordinating anything, but there's lots of content out there. And, uh, you know, hopefully people are recording and going. But the hashtag one was, again, with our friend Anthony Caponiti did a great job. Really good job. Lots of, lots, of, lots of really great guests. And we have one today. Yeah. Uh, and I guess from the, from, the, from the conference, but also really nice uh, selection of topics. Obviously, we got to, the, they got to the key ones. One thing I've noticed, Joe, or I've noticed particularly this week, this has been building over the last few months with these uh, Zoom conferences or video conferences. And that is, it's kind of uh, when you're multitasking, as most of us are, even when we're at live conference, we were multitasking on our smartphones typically. But with the Zoom conferences, it's nice to just leave the audio track on. You don't necessarily need to stare at the speakers yeah. the whole time. In fact, it gets a little weird after the first five or 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, but you can get a lot of good content. And then the other thing, as I remind my students and my friends in the business, is that a lot of the stuff will be available on demand. So if you happen to miss it live, you still can get some great insights from the speakers. Yep. So and anyway, that was fun. So Tom, we're going to talk, it's, it's funny with all the talk about um, forward thinking topics that we've covered, we really haven't done a lot about sports gambling in a while. Um, Although it gets had, mentioned almost all the time. Yeah, but we, I mean, we had, uh, just thinking back, we had Chad Millman on at the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not really sure if we've had anybody on since then. We had Darren Ravel on at the Super Bowl as well. And but, we talked to Carla about it on the legal yep, side. Yeah. Yep. So let's, well, Joe, let's did you, wait a minute, Joe, so did you see my word cloud that I made? Yes. For hashtag? Did you make okay. that actually? I did. I did. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of was thinking after watching, because I watched a lot of the conference or listened, I should say, to a lot of the conference. I kept thinking to myself, oh my God, there are like six or seven words that are being repeated by virtually every speaker. And first and foremost, because there were six panels devoted to sports betting, six. Yeah. Um, so I decided to do, do one of those word cloud generators, which I do from time to time. And I started thinking, okay, what are the, what are the six words I remember? It was like esports, sports betting, COVID, virtual, mobile experience, fan engagement, you know, literally just repeated in different ways. And I'm not suggesting that uh, it, it wasn't useful, but it, it was kind of striking how much sports betting dominated, I'd say this week at Hashtag. So we're happy to do a little follow-up on that. And uh, we've got one of the speakers from the Hashtag Conference um, on with us today. We're really pleased to welcome to the show a Columbia MBA, a CBS grad, Aubrey Levy from The Score, which is one of the most uh, successful sports media-focused mobile uh, digital businesses in North America, based in Toronto, with the big presence in the US. And what's really interesting about the score is they've jumped headlong into the gambling space with the score bet, a whole uh, kind of complementary line of business, which we're going to talk about today. 
Uh, but we're really pleased to have Aubrey visiting us from the West Village of Manhattan. So Aubrey, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. So it's, uh, it's great to be chatting with you. How do you make your way from Morningside Heights and your MBA to the to the digital sports media business? It. Um, uh, I mean, I, I've always worked in media, uh, but. Um, uh, and I actually a couple of great classes uh, in the business program that I took um, back up when I was there doing my MBA. Um, what, strategic management of media. Jonathan Nee taught that one. Do you guys remember? Do you, you ever uh, cross I've paths? Heard, with I've heard the name, but I've never met him. Yeah. Uh, he's a banker at Evercore. Um, uh, he was a very no nonsense kind of teacher. I almost felt bad for the guests that he would bring in because he would like go to, it would eviscerate them. And like, like leadership of like big media organizations would come in and he was friendly with them, I guess. So like they knew what they were in for, but he would absolutely just like laser them and encourage us to, too, as like these little, like know-it-all MBAs, these poor CEOs of organizations were coming in, just dealing with our nonsense. But so uh, what, he would just like pick a tough issue and just dig into it. Yeah. Like, for example, like I forget, oh, what the hell? The CEO of, remember before Time Warner and Time Warner Cable split yeah. and it was a single entity? Uh, he had some of the leadership there come in and literally was just going at it. Like, why does your business make any sense unified as, as both uh, the, the, as, as the cable company and also as the broadcaster? Like, you say that there's these synergies, but where are they? Right? right. And just, and I, like, I was, you know, MBA. It was great theater for me, but a great, great, great learning too. But it was just, um, yeah. I would, I would imagine Jeffrey Katzenberg maybe coming across his class in the last week. Or uh, I mean, that would be an interesting panelist or an interesting yeah. conversation to have today versus like five months ago. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think he dropped off the invitation list from from the uh, teachers at, at business schools. It's funny. I, uh, I would give him a lot of credit, though, for going on and talking about it, because yeah. it, 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 there, um, that was about as publicly kind of monitored and, yeah. and uh, dissected an initiative as, I mean, as rightly so, right? Given how much money they raised, how much they spent, how much they took in advertising, you're going to be under a microscope and people are going to watch for it to succeed or not. And uh, to get an honest postmortem would be, I mean, he's kind of done it through some editorial stuff, but... I don't know. I would love to see him talk about it. Him or Meg Whitman, just kind of give an honest dissection of it. I think so you Aubrey, could take, uh, good, you know, you take um, Quibi, my ESPN phone, uh, my 4D glasses, and put them all in a little box and just put them in the corner for now. So, well, um, so anyway. did, did that kind of class inspire you to check out media as as a sector to get into? Yeah, I mean, I had, if we want to go to, to my way back days, I'd worked on the creative side um, uh, before business school. Uh, uh, um, my undergrad was a BFA in performance theater way back in the day. So I was on the creative side of it. Things were pushing me more towards the business end of the, uh, the business side, um, which ultimately drove me back to business school. And then, um, yeah, media was going to be in my world one way or another. Uh, and uh, after business school, I did a stint at HBO. Uh, worked on a venture uh, after that um, called Mobcaster, where we we basically tried to help incubate um, an independent ecosystem for television uh, development and finance. Um, 
uh, all digitally, all online. This was in the, you know, a long while ago, back in the early days of crowdfunding. Um, and then five years ago, I guess six years ago now, um, the score, I've always been very close to the score. Uh, um, if you look at our leadership, um, I know this is audio, not video, but you'll see there's some facial resemblance to, to me. Um, the broadcast network, which started as a, as a network in Canada uh, 20 years ago, uh, was started by my father. Um, oh, wow. And uh, uh, my older brothers worked with him for years and years. Um, and so I've always kind of known the business, been close to it, and uh, was charting my own path until uh, it, it actually really strategically aligned um, uh, it was, you know, for me to help join when I started uh, there, I was focused primarily on building out uh, our New York marketing business development partnership focus. Um, we had just sold the linear assets for the score because I started as television business in Canada. We just sold the, the linear assets to Rogers, big media telecom in Canada, had spun out the, the digital property, which was largely just the score app um, because it had been growing so well organically largely in the US. And so I joined them to help build out that focus, that concentration and have just kind of evolved. You know, we've taken on new opportunity and um, uh, I've played whatever role I can to help push and, and develop us into new areas that now um, it seems like we're operating in some of the, <laughs> to your point, the buzziest verticals of sports. We have, we have or a mobile centric a mobile, like really mobile only sports media company that has uh, a sports betting operation um, and uh, a very large esports operation. So, whichever direction, um, you know, the, the kind of buzzy flavor of the day conversation in the world of sports seems to go, we, we can at least talk to almost any of it. Um, but I think it's an interesting testament to how we've had to kind of operate the company um, given that. You know, we are it's getting a bit long winded, but the score, you know, second largest sports app in North America. But we're the independent, nimble guy amongst the ESPNs and the Turners and the CBSs of the world. Right. And Aubrey, is it fair to say that you were the first media player to launch a mobile sports book? Is that technically correct? Correct. Yeah. And I think even still to this day, we're the only media player to actually operate our own sports. Right. So See, that's, so. that's a really interesting part of the story, yeah. Joe. We've talked about this yeah. before because you've got right now this convergence of power players looking to get in on this market. And ultimately, this will come down to the question of which app. Are, I mean, Joe knows I'm obsessed with this question. Which app are we all going to use when this spreads to 50 states? And you've got kind of the, the well-funded and, and now bigger players, uh, sport, uh, sports books now, uh, extensions, uh, FanDuel and DraftKings. Mm -hmm. You've got the big gaming companies like MGM, Sugar House, et cetera, and little old The Score, you know, fighting it out. And you know, you, we, you got Barstool Bets and now Penn National Gaming. So there's re this really interesting competitive set that's developing, and I, I think it's really fascinating that you guys, considering your relatively modest size compared to some of the other big media companies in this business, were able to be, to your point, nimble and move quickly when the opportunity presented itself. Mm -hmm. That's the only way we've succeeded so far, right? And yeah, sports betting is going to be as heated a marketplace competition-wise as anything. 
um, if you think back, I mean, we're seeing it happen right back in the DFS days when you saw how much DraftKings and FanDuel were spending. I think at some point they were literally the number one and two largest advertisers on national broadcast television. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same thing again in betting. And it's not just them. To your point, it's the casino operators. It's the European operators that are now coming into market. The U.S. sports betting market is proving out and will uh, proving out to be um as uh, as opportunity laden as people thought and we'll probably you know get to 50 who knows if we'll actually get to full 50 but it has certainly looked like momentum is growing for it to get national quicker than anybody was anticipating so it's going to be hotly competitive for a long time i think for us we have zero qualm or concern about punching above our weight class and um, fighting amongst guys who are much bigger either from a a resource perspective or a corporate support perspective. Look, by all intents and purposes, we shouldn't exist in our media business. Yeah. Right? We are, you know, the uh, an independent sports media company. Yeah, headquartered in Toronto, but but really with a core focus in the U.S. But we're the second largest sports app in North America, behind ESPN. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you think about the resources, channels, uh, support that all of our competitors have. The only way that we've succeeded is by being more hyper-focused on what our consumer wants from us on the platforms we're giving it to them. And by that, I mean, uh, we are like, from a sports media perspective, we were laser focused on what is the right experience to give a user on a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Forget what linear assets you may or may not have that you will want to monetize or push through other distribution points. What is the user looking for from a sports app experience? Uh, and, and we've had to do it without rights to support it too, right? It's all scores, news. Yeah. Um, it's product driven. So, and, and off the back of that, we've proven success there. If you look at esports, you know that's an area that we moved into before any other sports media organization. And now we have the largest esports media offering in North America. Um, we've been able to find a path there where other uh, sports media orgs have, have potentially faltered or have faltered. Mm-hmm. Sports betting, um, you know, it's it's our strategy is cut from a it's a different playbook. It's not go out and shout the loudest and advertise the loudest. The full reason we're in the sports betting game, full stop, is because of our media user base. We have four to five million active users, uh, monthly active users, 120 sessions per user per month plus. They're highly engaged. We know a large portion of them uh, are betting on sports. And that, that's our base off which to build. And we're not building this to, you know, pop from a start, you know, a start, a standing start to 20% market share in the first quarter or two. This is a multi-year game for us that we're building product-led um, strategically. You know, we have user base all across the country. So any state we want to, and in Canada. Uh, so as states open up, this is a, a multi-year play. Can I do a quick follow-up on that, Joe? I know Joe had a question, yeah. but I, I, wanna, I just want to stay on that point for a second. So... Aubrey, um, we are now eight days away from the legalization of mobile-only gambling in Tennessee. Yeah. The, the company I work for, a software company, Mercury, is based in Nashville. Um, I slacked my colleagues this morning, knowing that we would be talking to you uh, this morning, and I, I said to those guys, they're aware of it, and I said to them, so how many of you are going to be checking this out once it gets legalized on November 1st? And what app are you thinking about using? What is your pitch to them? If you could stand in front of my, our guys in right now who are looking at DraftKings, FanDuel, everybody else wanting their business, what's your pitch to them to pick the score bet? 
Um, thank you for teeing that up. I'll happily give the pitch. The pitch, the pitch is pretty simple. You don't bet as an isolated behavior. You're a sports fan first, right? Whatever that team or, 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 or however you choose to consume, um, very few bettors actually just bet and don't consume the game, right? It's not, it's not a financial interaction for them. It's a fandom interaction for them and it builds an excitement for them. So our pitch to you is, what we can give you that the other guys might not be able to is a truly integrated and seamless media and betting experience. You as the sports fan should be able to follow any team, any game, any moment within that game. And at any point when you have that intuition or that desire to place a bet, it should be dead simple for you. You should be able to live on our app, be following the Titans in real time, if that's your team of choice, Tennessee, you should be able to see the live odds and the live markets available for you updating in real time without taking you away from the game, without taking you away from all the editorial around the game, all the data points, scoring updates, all the things that you're used to loving and following. And that only when you're interested in placing that bet or when you're interested in placing that bet, it should be as quick and seamless a process as possible. We today are going to be the only operator that can do that for you because that's our ecosystem. Right. And what that means is you can live within our media product, consume the game, follow the game exactly as you would or have. And if you don't know the score, I would encourage you to download the score and see how that stacks up against ESPN or Bleach reporting the competition. We tend to be, win a lot of hearts and minds for people who don't know us when they try us. And then insofar that you're having a good media experience on our app, we can bring you closer to the bet than anybody else so that when you want to place that bet, We'll show you the live odds. We'll show you the live markets. We'll let you build that bet slip right within the scores media product. And only for that last, you actually physically need a tap place bet. We'll take you over to the score bet. You'll place the bet and we'll get you back to consuming the game. So for us, it's about bringing the bet closer to you, making your life easier, simpler, and more seamless. As opposed to potentially just giving you the loudest, largest offer, forcing you to have four or five different experiences um, and jump around, authenticate through four or five different platforms, right? It's to make, it's to bring the bet to the better, not force the better to go out and seek out their betting opportunity. Joe, that's a good answer. I have a feeling Aubrey's given that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. Well and, done. No, seriously, that was a good, that was really good. And um, I will share that with my colleagues in, in Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. And, and if anybody who goes back through a lot of the things where we've talked about user experience, you know, we didn't even talk about the league platforms and what they're doing or not doing in the, this area, which they could own. But user experience obviously is becoming, it's kind of amazing that it's not the number one priority, but people want to kind of dress things up versus delivering what people will want. Um, along the what people will want, my question was really around the esports space. The Wild West for sure, so many different games. Um, what have you guys learned? from the gambling in the esports space, by the way, also worries of game fixing, corruption, uh, drug use, go on and on and on. But, yeah. but what have you learned about the esports space that traditional bettors may know, may not know about? And then also who is that audience and how is it different from, from a traditional sports betting uh, fan? Yeah, 
It's, it's a very good question because there's a lot of attention now on the convergence between esports and betting, especially perpetuated by COVID because we went through a few months there where there was none of the big four were on and an increased spotlight was put on esports, right? Things like eNASCAR, um, just uh, some of the traditional esports in general, League of Legends, Counter-Strike, and some states started to pass uh, legislation to approve markets um, for esports events that they hadn't previously. I think to understand the how esports, the intersection between esports and betting, um, I think I'll talk. I'll speak to it from our perspective. What makes betting compelling is the underlying passion and interest in the games themselves. So, in my opinion, for esports betting to get to a place where it's a material opportunity. Thing. told you COVID, the door opens, <laughs> the dog walks in. The dog thinks my office is her office. That's okay. So, uh, we welcome it, uh, dogs to the show. If you hear panting at any point in the next 20 minutes, that's uh, it's not me being okay. tired and out of breath. That's that's the bulldog. But, it's a really um, age gamblers is who it is. So, anyway. That's right. Yeah. Um, so the uh actually the rid of her she's panting loudly she was just come back i like this this is so authentic joe literally i feel like what the interview talk about a user experience arby just had his dog come in and now is has escorted his dog out out of the office to finish the question i feel like i handled that better than the guy on cnn whose kid and nanny came into the room and he uh um anyway so i think you know, if betting is underpinned by by a passion for the underlying sports and teams that you're betting on, then in my opinion, before betting in the U.S. becomes a real call it material market or betting opportunity, you still need to develop that those underlying storylines and really just an under uh, an underlying understanding of what the hell the games and, and games are and why you care about them. And I think that's something that in the esports media marketplace, we've taken great strides to, to, to focus on and where we found success. You know, like I, I sometimes ask this question, it's fairly glib, but like if you sit in a room of sports fans, right, if any one of your students and I said, you know, who's a fan of the NBA, probably get a good portion of people to put their hands up. You say, who knows LeBron James? Everybody, right? You then say, who's a fan of League of Legends? You probably get a smaller cohort of users put their hands up and you say, who knows Faker? Right? Figures one of the preeminent players of that game, and almost nobody non-endemic knows who he is, right? which is wild to think about when you think about the power and audience size that exists already in esports. Mm -hmm. So, uh, from my perspective, there's still it's still pretty nascent as far as telling these underlying stories about who these games and players and moments and teams are and why they matter. That has to be cultivated and developed for people to really start to build non-endemic fandom to these esports which is what we focus on on our media side of our eSports operation, found success there. But I think that's going to expedite. And I think over the course of the next call it, few years, I don't think it's going to happen in the next few months, I think eSports market, eSports betting will start to become a substantial opportunity in the U.S. I think as, you know, we can talk about um, some of the kind of maturation that has to happen to that industry, right? Making sure that uh, there, there's not concerns about uh, integrity, um, uh, even just accessibility to these games. I think largely those are getting addressed already. Some of the real nefarious stuff that you've seen in esports betting over the past few years, things like skins betting. Skins betting is basically when people buy cosmetic in-app uh, items for games, and then they use those as the currency to bet on sports. 
uh, bet on esports. That's gotten cleaned up a good amount. Regulators now looking at esports. So if there's not a core integrity component to how these esports events are being run, they're not going to get through legislative muster. So it's not going to pass legislative muster in any of these states. So by the time they're coming online, I think the integrity component will be sufficiently resolved. Uh, it's already getting sufficiently resolved. I think at that point, it's just a, a sheer understanding of what the, you know, that media fandom around these games. Mm-hmm. So strategically for us, as that business gets there, uh, I want to have the largest esports media, you know, loudspeaker through which to, to, to shout to our users and um, get them over and betting with us. Aubrey, how much do you guys think about how sports betting either is or could be changing the very essence of fandom, which historically has been team focused? Uh, you suggested that it's a fandom driven kind of experience yeah. within the score. But do you do you guys worry about it? I mean, it's not so much your worry. It's more of a league worry, I gather. Uh, but do you think about how it may change the mentality uh, of actually following sports? I, I think possibly, I think that's going to change regardless, though. Right. Like, look at just what Red Zone has done to consumption of football games. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I don't sit there and watch any single football game through in its entirety. I'm usually watching Red Zone or flipping around. Um, you know, I've been playing fantasy for years. I watch games based on when I have fantasy players active. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same thing with betting. You, you watch games because betting adds a bit of excitement to the game. Unless there's that underlying storyline, that underlying fandom and connection to the game that exists. You know, that needs to be there as a starting point. But I think what betting does, hopefully for the positive, is it expands expands interest, expands intent. If I'm a New York guy, maybe I've I've only been a Jets or Giants guy. And as I start to, um, you know, have some fun with sports betting, maybe that expands how much NFL I'm consuming. Uh, So I think that's a component of how people's sports consumption is changing. But I think there's a whole myriad of disruptive factors going on right now with sports consumption, not just the behaviors of how they're doing, whether it's fantasy and betting, but even where they're doing it. Like how much is linear, you know, linear isn't what it used to be, right? Fans want sports largely uh, digital channels, largely mobile. Right. And I think a lot of the broadcast is trying to catch up to that. Yeah. Well, especially if we see the ratings declines and I think, one of the assumptions in the industry, which we heard this week at Hashtag, was that the expansion of legalized sports betting will be a savior to the ratings concerns or the ratings issue in pro sports. That if you are engaged as a sports better, you're more inclined to watch the games. I, I, yeah, don't know. I, I, I kind of agree with you. Yes, you are paying attention to games. Are you watching the full NFL game, three hours and 20 minutes with 70, 30 second ads. That's the question. But that I think, I, I don't think that necessarily is how it has to, like whether sports betting further expedites the pace at which people like aren't tethered to a linear broadcast, watching a full game with all ad breaks, possibly, but that behavior is changing anyway. And I think to yeah. sit here and assume the next generation of sport fan is going to turn on the broadcast network at, 1 p.m. on a Sunday and sit there all the way through till Sunday night. It's just not happening. Right. It's not going to happen. I, I heard 
um, you know, uh, I heard something Mark Cuban said around NBA finals ratings because they were down, right? And said, look, we're, we're no longer, it's no longer competing broadcast channel versus cable. It's, he goes, uh, we're not, we have to compete against Netflix and Amazon. He said, those, those are the distribute, those are the, the primary viewing points or consumption points of the future. And you don't even factor in how much people consume now, you know, in snippets and chunks on mobile. Um, so uh, not to harken back to where you started about the Quibi conversation. I mean, format and content type still obviously matter a great deal, but I think it's incumbent on the broadcasters and the leagues and all of us in the media landscape to understand how people want content and give it to them. I think people will still, demand will be there and sports betting will help support the demand and interest in the game. I don't know if the traditional delivery mechanisms for those games um, are, are, uh, are going to be what people want on a go forward basis, regardless of whether bet intent is there or not. Can you share any demographic insights about the users of the score bet app? It, I mean, it largely parallels to our media app. Our media app is a heavily male, heavily 18 to 35, sometimes flexing up north of 40 uh, audience. Mm -hmm. And that's largely what sports betting is today. I think there's a huge, huge opportunity to broaden the appeal of sports betting into younger, not, not illegal, but younger audiences, right? For people coming into the legal betting category who aren't as, who are consuming content in new ways, as well as to female demographics. I think a lot of the sports betting offerings and marketplace, if you're not already a better, they're not very friendly to you. They're not very welcoming. And, and uh, right? if, if you're not already comfortable with what those odds means and the price, like, in, you know, what minus 110 means when you're trying to place a bet, right? There's not a lot of, of kind of warm introduction into betting. Everyone has tutorials, but I think there's a lot of product innovation that can and will happen that will make betting a much more casual centric behavior um, that will break it away or hopefully broaden it out uh, from what has been, you know, historically just a, a you know, that, that 18 to 35 male market. Do you guys have any uh, formal deals with leagues or teams? Yeah, we're, we're official league partners with MLB and NBA. Okay. Um, we tend to shy away from all the big flashy sponsorship deals that are getting announced literally on a weekly basis now. Um, for us, that goes you know, hand in hand with our strategy to not necessarily focus our marketing efforts heavily on external loud above the line marketing. Um, our, our, where we focus, as I said, is first off within our own ecosystem, within our own users um, and uh, extend outward there with Kind of strategic digital performance marketing it, it a lot of times those big team sponsorships um they're good for kind of loud splashes but you know a lot of times they're undifferentiated a lot of times they're very crowded sometimes you, you know you have three four five six sports books partnering with a single entity it's it's really hard to calculate roi when you're the third sports book on that LED, you know, lower bowl rotating banner. So we work with leagues um, uh, without question, but we've yet to really go out and do any kind of, of those big above the line sponsorship deals that are, are pretty commonplace in market now. 
Um, Aubrey, I know um, uh, we have two questions we want to get to at the end. The one, the one area that I'd really be interested in on your point of view is college sports um, with NIL now, and obviously, you know, how that is going to factor in. What percentage is college sports for the score, and, and is it growing, or is it on a parallel with esports or other places? Is one of the places you need to get more involved. In? College drives and college people, you know, college football is a big driver of betting behavior. Big, a big bet intent around college football. This is only our, our second year live in, um, and, and really the first year we've been multi-state with Indiana and Colorado. So I'm really curious and excited to see how college basketball does as that comes back online. But colleges, it's again, like for us, it parodies media behavior. We see a ton of media interest around college football. It's a huge, it's a huge sport, huge. I mean, it's, it's leaps and bounds in a different class today from esports wagering in the US. So I think, uh, uh, you know, each state is approaching college differently with their own kind of parameters. Uh, or some states don't want wagering on in-state uh, collegiate teams, uh, you know, other restrictions, uh, but by and large across the ecosystem, college uh, is, especially football, is a big driver of betting behavior. What was the second question, Joe? Uh, we're, we'll get to our, our, our two kind of- Okay, sorry. Uh, we'll cover off on all the other things. Tom, you have any others that we want to kind of touch on in this, this really- Well, I do, of- but I know we're running out of time. Uh, this is a, just a fascinating topic. Um, I, I will- I, why don't you give a short answer to this essay question? <laughs> could, it, could, it, could a day come, and I've asked this before, and Joe's, Joe's heard me say this many times, could a day come where a league stands up and says, I want to create a direct-to-consumer betting experience for my sport? I, and I'm looking at you, National Football League, uh, which has done that with their fantasy business, as you know, with, with mm-hmm. a proprietary platform. I'm really curious to see as the owners look for ways to address some of the revenue, long-term revenue concerns, whether they can play a more direct and active role to capture more of the value over time. Anything is possible. I don't think it's gonna go that direction in the short term. Just like, I don't think that part of the reason that won't happen, it's the same reason you don't see a lot of big media jumping in to actually operate in the short term for two reasons. One there's a ton of advertising and sponsorship and partnership dollars to be made a ton, right? Like you see it's, it, there is like a very direct impact, right? Um, but that's short-term, that's a short-term look. Correct. But also the second piece to it too, is it's a lot to opulate, operate as a regulated sports book, especially in a regionalized state-by-state framework. Um, not just on the compliance and, and, and regulatory side where, you know, there's, full licensing, stacks and stacks and stacks of submissions and paperwork and full regulatory scoping and, and, and vetting that has to happen, right? That I'm not sure at this stage today, well, we haven't seen it. That's part of the reason why big media, uh, sports media haven't done it because, you know, is the board of Disney going to jump through all of those hoops today? Right. Um, and, and then second to that, I, I think in the fullness of time, um, there's also, I mean, operating a regulated sports book is a, like technologically a huge undertaking, huge, right? It, it's, it's once you start to get into actually like you're the book, you're the house, you're, you, you 
are managing risk and trading, you have to make sure that that everything is totally buttoned up. And I'm not saying the leads can't do that, but there's there's a lot that has to happen there logistically. And I'm like insofar that, you know, if you put aside for a second the conversation of who's better served to do it, kind of third parties um, or the leagues themselves, I would clearly take the perspective that the, the third party operator is better for the consumer, right? Um, it's no different than, like you could say the same thing about media, like our sports, we still have a really, really huge media base uh, on, on the sports side. The leagues all have their own media apps, right? But we still have an incredibly large footprint because you know people largely want a multi-sport offering. So yes, could the leagues offer their own type of wagering, I suppose, but I would wager, I would argue that we, uh, an operator like us is better serviced to give a non-league specific offering so yeah, maybe in the fullness of time, I don't, uh, I, I think it's probably, probably not, but mm-hmm. who knows? All right, we'll see. Joe, Joe, I'll make you a side bet on that one after Uh-oh. the show. All right. <laughs> all right, um, take us home, Joe. Yep. So, so Aubrey, two questions we'd like to ask all our guests because we've got a lot of people who tune in who are either students, changing careers, looking for new opportunities like gambling. Um, how do you stay up to date on everything that you need to, to do your job? And then the words of wisdom you give to anyone who comes to you and you guys are hiring from what I heard, um, you know, what are the words of wisdom you give to people that, that helps them separate from the pack? Yeah, sure. Um, wait, give me Joe, give me question one again. Question one. How do you stay, how do you stay cont- uh, up to date on everything that's going on? Where do you go for your information? Yeah, so I, I get some general industry kind of email lists. Um, right? There's a general tech email list like uh, Business Insider and Axios and a couple of those that I receive. Um, then there's the, obviously the, the industry specific ones um, like within sports betting, legal sports report, EGR. There's a bunch that, that a bunch of distribution lists that I'm on that I get. It also helps that sports betting and esports, given all the buzz around both of them, news gets very loud very quickly. So it's, you know, it doesn't take a lot for things to break break themselves into uh, awareness on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from a how to break yourself away from the pack, um, I I was a big proponent of doing this. Let's go back to my Columbia days. Um, something that, that I'm a big supporter of is you shouldn't wait for the job opening to build the relationship. And maybe I did this because I was in this weird media and entrepreneurial path at Columbia uh, and as opposed to a traditional consulting or finance path where there's a real um, structure to recruiting. I had to kind of forge my own my own way. And look, I'll I'll give a ton of Columbia's network is amazing. Um, And it didn't didn't take a lot of effort for me to build some bridges. That's how I got my job at HBO was I reached out through a contact through a friend to a contact at the at the network. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm. Here's my here, here's who I am. I would love to just take you for coffee and understand a little bit. It was to work. It was I ultimately got hired by their HBO Go digital distribution team, which was where I was interested. I don't often get a lot of well-crafted, targeted kind of. Can I pick your brain for 20 minutes? Can we have an informational? It's always once the job posting goes up mm-hmm. that you then get flooded. And by that point, you're already the hiring manager is so inundated. Like I'm hiring right now a bunch of sports marketing positions, a bunch of esports positions. I don't I'm not the one reviewing resumes because I don't have bandwidth to do it. It goes through HR team. Right? And then sometimes even through another layer before it gets in front of me. So by the time it's in front of me, it's already been vetted by two or three people, possibly even a recruiter. 
it's really hard unless your resume really stands out to get through that. But a lot of candidates have amazing experience that doesn't that doesn't let present on the page. So uh, I'm a big proponent of identifying companies that you are interested in and spaces you are interested in. It's pretty easy to navigate. I mean, uh, uh, you know, LinkedIn. There's enough tools out there to try to find who seem to be the right people, and then craft you know, what seems to be a well thought inbound, right? Why you're reaching out to that person and more, and you'll be surprised how often you get a warm response, as long as it's, you know, well thought out and deliberate. I think that stands people apart more than anything. I think a lot of times people wait for the opportunity to open up and then they lob in a resume. Um, yeah. I, I'm a big proponent of get out in front of it and start to build relationships with the companies and the positions you want. It helps them too, right? I wish I had a, a, a better pipeline of people I just knew that I thought were smart and I didn't have the role for them yet, that when the role opened up, it was an easier plug and play. That's really good. That's yeah. really it's good really advice. Smart. Yeah, uh, seriously, that's that's outstanding. Thank you for that. My really pleasure. Helpful. All right, I think we're, uh, we're, we're running out of time really fast. So Aubrey, thanks again on behalf of Columbia. My pleasure, guys. Uh, one of your alma maters. Uh, it was really fun talking to you. So let's just be clear to the audience about how they might interact with you and the score. Do you want to just kind of give a rundown of how to, uh, about the app and stuff like that? Yeah, so uh, everybody should download, if you don't have it already, download the score, iOS and Android, Google Play and iOS App Store, download the score. If you're in New Jersey, Colorado, or Indiana and of legal betting age and interested in betting, I would highly encourage you to also download the score bet. Um, Which is a technically a, a different application. Native it, it application. Is, sorry, I, I should have clarified that before. Yeah, right, like, right. Thank you, Tom. That that's a core key component of my pitch that I screwed up. Right. It, it, it is a separate application. Right. It, 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 um, once you have both on your phone, it should feel fairly seamless uh, and intuitive navigating between the two of them. But today, given one is national and the other is highly regional, they're separate applications. Right. Um, right. So download both. Uh, um, it. Uh, 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 hopefully it makes your betting experience um, better or, or uh, um, it helps bring you into betting. And, well, and, and by the way, will it be available in Tennessee next, next month? Uh, I, I, I can't speak to whether it's going to be available in Tennessee next month, okay. but what I, I can say is, uh, yeah, everywhere, every, we're looking everywhere that there is favorable legislation by favorable. I mean, legislation that favors online mobile sports betting we are pursuing and looking at. So, um, it, uh, uh, we, Tennessee is certainly one of the states that, uh, has been front footed with their frameworks. Nice. All right. Well, we've been having a great conversation with Aubrey Levy, who's the VP of content and marketing for the score. We encourage everybody to check it out. Um, that was some really good insight that I thought was really nice, uh, nicely done on top of the other stuff uh, we heard this week in the industry about this extremely hot topic that fascinates all of us. So thank you, Aubrey. It was really wonderful to hear from you directly. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. It's great. And thank you to Tom Cerny, our producer. Joe, another good show in the books. And we found another Columbia alum. How great is that? So. That's great. Yeah. And the, and the network expands once again. So Aubrey, have a uh, good luck with the expansion of the business. It sounds really exciting. And hopefully we'll see you on campus sometime for an in-person visit. One of these that would days. be fantastic. I'd love that. Okay. Yeah, you'll be on the list. All right. Great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time on the Custer Check.